Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Good morning, Dwelling Place. How many of you are actually Beatles fans in here? Okay. Well, you're probably not as big a fan as my dad. My name is Michelle, and yes, he named me after the song, My Michelle. So he probably has you guys all beat. And we danced to that at my wedding. It was very sweet. So anyway, good morning. It's such a blessing to be here today to wrap up this series, Hey Jude. I hope you guys have been really receiving a lot from this little short letter that packs a really big punch, doesn't it? And so today, um, as I have been studying through the week and putting my message together and just really asking the Lord you know, what's left to communicate? Because like we've been in this for four weeks and it's a little letter, (laughs) but there is something left to communicate. And I believe that today the Lord is wanting for me to highlight two important lessons um, from the book of Jude. So today my sermon is titled, The Discerning and Steadfast Disciple. And let me pray. Father God, we worship you today and we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the opportunity that we have had to enter with thanksgiving, to enter with praise into your presence. I pray, Lord, that you have received the glory that you are so worthy of. And Lord, now we ask that you would speak to us, that you would instruct us, Lord, that you would continue conforming us to the image of Jesus And Lord, that you would impart to us a steadfast and discerning spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start today in Jude, the third verse. Reading there together, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So from the start, Jude makes a distinction between two groups of people. First of all, he talks about God's holy people. They are those that share salvation and have been entrusted with the faith. Now, anytime someone hears the word holy, they kind of maybe freak out a little and say, well, I'm not holy. What does that mean? And holy here doesn't mean that we are perfectly sinless people. It means that we are a set-apart people. And so he speaks to us as a community, a family who share salvation and have a calling to contend for the faith. Then he continues and says there's another group of people. These are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. And what does it mean to pervert something? 
Well, a simple definition is that to pervert something means to seek to change it from its natural state. And the gospel has been clearly defined. The principles of morality, of God's righteousness, have been clearly defined. When Jude speaks of ungodly people, the indicator that allows him to label them ungodly is that they endeavor to change what has been clearly defined in Scripture about God, about his law, about his way, about his will. They seek to pervert it, change it from its natural set form that God has revealed in Scripture. God's grace has been clearly defined in Scripture. And God's grace is the bestowing of his mercy, the withholding of his judgment upon us who have sinned against God. But because of mercy, God placed what should have been our penalty upon his son Jesus. This is grace, the bestowing of mercy the withholding of judgment. God has provided something for us that we did not deserve. He's provided something that we could have never performed or earned of our own effort. This has been clearly defined in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of this has been clearly defined in Scripture. But there are those who are ungodly and seek to change what has already been clearly defined. And when people seek to redefine creation, redefine morality, Redefine God. They do so to give themselves a license to be their own God. And this is how you know someone is ungodly. They refuse to come into submission to God. They refuse to submit to his law, to his way. They are ungodly because they choose their own way. And this is why the scripture is clear that repentance is the first step to receiving salvation, God's grace, the withholding of judgment. To come into right standing with God, a person must repent. They must have a change of their mind, a change of their preference of will. And you do that by agreeing with God. You have to agree with God that you're a sinner, that you've sinned against him, and you need his forgiveness. You must agree with God that you need him to be the Lord of your life. In fact, this becomes the essence of discipleship, that we no longer live for self, but allow God to be the guide of how we think, how we believe, how we behave. Godly people, or as Jude calls us, God's holy people, agree with God. Now, we may not always want to agree with God. Anybody? 
And this is why transformation is needed. Transformation is where our soul is renewed and conformed to the way of God. Our mind is renewed, our will, our emotions are healed so that then the preference of our will, our want to, becomes what he wants. Amen? So we may not always want to agree, but in view of God's grace and having received the work of grace through the gift of salvation, we make a decision to agree that we are not God, that we are limited, that we need God. Therefore, we choose to surrender. We surrender our doubt, our questions, our fear, our will, and we trust God. This change of mind, this acceptance of God's opinion, of God's will, of his ways, then empowers us to be able to live godly. Amen? By the Spirit of God, we can bear the fruit of righteousness. This is how God conforms us to the image of Jesus. This is how God delivers us from the effects of sin. This is how you begin to walk in authority over temptation. Godly people agree with God. Repentance, the changing of your mind, the changing of the preference of your will, agreeing with God, becomes the consistent rhythm in the life of godly people. Listen, when my mind battles with agreeing with God, and it does, I must acknowledge I am not God. I must acknowledge God's word is truth. And I must surrender and choose to believe God. When my will battles with agreeing with God, and it does sometimes, right? I must choose to acknowledge I am not God. I must acknowledge God's word is truth. And I must surrender and choose to obey God. When my emotions battle with agreeing with God, and they often do, I must acknowledge I am not God. I must acknowledge God's word is truth. And I must choose to surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to rule over my emotions and to help me to respond in a righteous manner. The godly agree with God. The ungodly are unrepentant. They do not have the rhythm of repentance in their life. They do not have the rhythm that says, "Uh uh-oh, I don't really agree with God right now, but because I know that I'm not God, I will surrender. They are unrepentant. They refuse to agree with God. Therefore, they seek to pervert, to change what God has declared in his word to be true and right. They want God to change. Isn't that interesting? They dare to say to the creator who created them, no, 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 you must change. They want God to agree with their will, with their desires. The ungodly are not interested in pleasing God. 
They are interested in pleasing and God pleasing them. This is a fundamental issue facing many in and out of the church today. They want to look at the creator and say, you are wrong. You must change. You must please me. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 tells us opponents, those that are unrepentant, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Notice the grace of God in this. God has not given up on the ungodly, on the unrepentant, on the resistant to his will. He instructs us to be praying for them that God will lead them to repentance, that they would, be, that they would come to their senses and be able to escape from the trap of the devil. Now, Jude continues, and he begins to expose the fruit of those who seek to pervert the grace of God. So we're going to look through some of these. In verse 16, he says, These people are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. So the fruit of the ungodly is that they are grumblers. They will not recognize the goodness of God. They harden their hearts and remain ungrateful. Grumblers keep their eyes fixed on the problem instead of the problem solver. Remember the Israelites in the desert? After experiencing the miraculous power and goodness of God, they remained with a grumbling spirit and they lost the promise. But we are God's holy people, Jude says, and we are not like the ungodly. We keep a heart of thanksgiving. We choose to live in gratitude. We choose to recognize the goodness of God. We may be tempted to grumble because life can be difficult. We can have moments where our hearts are broken at the circumstances of life, but we put on the garment of praise. We give him glory because he is Jehovah Adonai. He is the master of our life. He is the master who rules and reigns with authority over the circumstances of our life. There is nothing outside of his care. Amen? He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, who is delivering us out of every trouble. So we keep his praise in our heart and on our lips, and we declare that because God is with us, goodness and mercy are following us into all that God has prepared for us. We agree with God, and we do not grumble. The ungodly are fault finders. Exalted in their pride, Jude says the ungodly blame God or they blame others for the difficulties of life. They find fault with God when they can't have their own way. The ungodly do not accept responsibility. Instead of walking in forgiveness 
and trusting the faithfulness of God to change the circumstance, to bring about a different outcome. They harden their hearts to receiving his correction, and they live in self-justification. They are fault finders. But we are God's holy people, amen? We are not like the ungodly. We recognize that because of our own sin or the sins of others, we can find ourselves hurting from the effects of sin. We can find ourselves living under consequences of sinful decisions. But we also know that we serve a Savior who is greater than those decisions. Amen? Jesus can change the outcome. He can break through the consequences of sin and work to make things good for us. Amen? Because of a spirit of repentance in our lives, He can deliver. He can restore. He can heal. He can empower us to forgive. He can grant us favor and open doors that we thought could never open because of what we did or because of what someone else did to us. We can stop playing the blame game and start trusting that because He is Jehovah Ra, the shepherd of our lives, He is leading us out of the consequences of sin into green pastures beside still waters. He is refreshing my soul and He is guiding me into the right path. Amen? We are God's holy people who agree with God and choose to not find fault, but to give the Lord, our shepherd, the glory due his name. And Jude continues, and he says that the ungodly follow their own evil desire. Pastor Chad a few weeks ago preached how the ungodly seek to make their will found in God's word. They will seek to distort the word of God and bend it to their own will. Listen, if a person doesn't want the will of God, they will interpret God's word incorrectly. Because they are unrepentant, they do not agree with God, they will seek to pervert God's word to justify their own will. But we are God's holy people. We are not like the ungodly. We recognize that in the will of God, we find life, fulfillment, contentment, everything we need. So we agree with God. As Proverbs 16.25 says, we agree with God that there is a way that may seem right to me. But if I'll begin to submit that way to God, I will begin to see that in the end, it's the way of death. I agree with God, as Proverbs 12.38 tells me, that in the way of, the, of righteousness, there is life in His way. Along the path of God, there is immortality. So I agree with God, and I choose to surrender my will and follow the will of God. Amen? Jude continues. He says, the ungodly are boastful and they are flatterers. The ungodly keep themselves as the center of their speech. 
They glory in themselves. They seek to be praised by flattering others. They seek for the spotlight to constantly be on themselves, denying Jesus the glory he is worthy of. But we are God's holy people. We are not like the ungodly. We recognize that if there's anything good in us, it is due to the goodness of God to us. Amen? So we agree with God, as Psalm 6410 tells us. We, the righteous, will rejoice in the Lord. We will take refuge in Him. And all the upright in heart, we will glory in Him. Amen? Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 1 and 30, and he says to us, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We don't boast in our own works. We don't boast in our own wisdom. We don't boast in our understanding. We don't boast in our own strength. We don't boast in our own righteousness. We recognize where all goodness comes from, in us and outside of us, it comes from Him. Amen? So Jude tells us, the ungodly, you will know them by their grumbling spirit, by their boastfulness, their flattering, following the evil desires of their life and their fault-finding. He moves on and he exposes now the aim of those who seek to pervert the grace of God. In verse 17, he says, Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers, who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. The aim of the ungodly is to provide a license for immorality. If you remember a few verses back, Jude specifies that, that they want to provide a license for immorality, and they do so by denying Jesus. When a person is unrepentant, they are willful. They want to remain in their sin. And the only way to do that is to deny that which tells them they are wrong. When an ungodly person likes their sin, they don't want to be told they're wrong or that they need to change. Therefore, they must deny the truth and the author and authority of truth. This is why ungodly people deny Jesus. Because Jesus comes in and says, you've got a sin issue that I want to solve. And they say, no, I don't. Remember that as God's holy people, the fruit of our lives flows from repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us that godly sorrow brings repentance, leading to salvation, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. This is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. 
How do I know that I've repented? If I look back on my sin and I regret casting it at the feet of Jesus, I've not repented. But as godly people, we do not look back on our sins and regret that we've casted it to the feet of Jesus. Instead, we rejoice in his deliverance. Amen? We rejoice in a Savior who has set us free. We rejoice in a Savior who has given us now a license to live godly. If you remember the Israelites, they had a tabernacle, then they had a temple where they were consistently reminded of their sinfulness before God. It served as a physical reminder of their distance before God. It, was, it served as a daily reminder that they were separated from God. They did not have a license, a way to be able to enter into the presence of God without being struck down and destroyed. That was a daily reminder of their existence. And in Jesus, we have a daily reminder that now we have license to enter into the throne of grace, to be empowered by his spirit, and to live godly. We have power now to obey. And this is good news. Amen? Jesus has set us free from the law of sin that bound us, that kept us as slaves to unrighteousness so that we can now serve as slaves of righteousness. Paul tells us, you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, and now you can offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to your holiness. Amen. Hallelujah. We've been given a license to live godly. The ungodly scoff at truth, and they do so to bring division among God's people. Jesus, before he left the earth, had a simple prayer to the Father, unity for his church. And the enemy is very well aware that our effectiveness in the community outside of these walls is hindered by the disunity within these walls. Amen? In John 17, Jesus prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you, Father. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When the word of God is scoffed at, when the, the way of God is mocked, it brings division and it puts us into a, into a state of distraction and it keeps us from fulfilling the mission that we've been entrusted with. So the ungodly come in to plant doubt, to plant confusion, to bring scoffing that would cause us to come into a state of distraction. And we have to be careful to contend for the faith without quarreling about the faith. 
We make this mistake often in the church. We want to quarrel over our position. We think that means we are contending for the faith. But when we are wrapped up in proving our point to other believers, that's not contending for the faith. That's quarreling. And we are surrendering the faith that we are to be contending for. And we do so at the risk of those who are perishing without Jesus. Contending means holding fast to truth. It means continuing to proclaim truth even when it is opposed. Contending is not arguing and quarreling over, you know, Pastor Craig believes Jesus is coming before the rapture. Pastor Chad believes Jesus is coming after the rapture, and they could get into some quarreling over that. That's not contending for the faith. If they stay in a state of distraction over that one thing, they're going to be very ineffective. And oh, the enemy would rejoice over that. Contending isn't arguing and quarreling, seeking to convince or change someone's mind. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, and he's more than capable. Timothy instructs us, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach. There's a big difference between teaching and quarreling. Teaching isn't seeking to just, you know, impose their own opinion over someone. We're not to be resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed with what aim? In the hope that God will grant them repentance. Amen? So Jude exposes the fruit of the ungodly, and he exposes the aim of the ungodly. Then he goes on to expose the means of their work. He says they follow their natural instinct. They do not have the spirit. The ungodly operate in the work of the flesh because God's work, God and his word is not their authority. Therefore, they cannot operate in his authority. The ungodly are those who do what always feels right. Well, it seems right. It feels right. My flesh sure is happy about it because my flesh is getting its way. So that's how they operate. Jesus tells us in John 16, he says to his disciples, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That is the role of the Holy Spirit towards the world, to prove to them they are in the wrong. They're in the wrong about sin because people do not believe in Jesus. They're in the wrong about righteousness because Jesus went to the Father. And they're in the wrong about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. And he continues and says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now, the work of the flesh will always seek to justify itself. Remember that the work of the Spirit is to prove something. It's to prove the world to be wrong. But the work of the flesh will seek to justify itself against the work of the Spirit. If the Spirit says they are wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, the work of the flesh will seek to pervert the Word of God, the grace of God, to justify self. You see that? And then the work of the flesh will not be led. And this is really important. Jesus says that the Spirit will guide you into truth. But if you're ungodly, you're unrepentant, you choose to not agree with God, you're not going to be led. The work of the flesh refuses the leading of the Spirit. And then the work of the flesh glories in itself. Jesus says here that the Spirit glorifies Jesus. But the work of the flesh glorifies itself. It boasts about itself. It takes glory in itself. Okay? So Jude exposes the fruit of the ungodly. He exposes the aim, the goal of their work. And he exposes the means of their work. And the means is that they work in the flesh. Finally, Jude instructs us on how to respond to the ungodly. And the band or uh, whoever's playing can go ahead and come up. Jude continues in verse 20 and says, You, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to to eternal life. Jude begins to instruct us on how we are to respond to the ungodly around us. Jude doesn't expose the ungodly so that we, as the holy people of God, will get ourselves worked up in a fearful panic. He isn't exposing the ungodly to tell us that we need to close our doors and shut ourselves in to hide from their work. His exposure of the ungodly, of their fruit, of their purpose, of the means of their work, listen, it is to impart in us a discerning spirit. The ungodly, Jude says, will slip in They'll slip into your life. They'll slip into our church. And Jude says, you need to have a discerning spirit. You need to recognize and be able to uh, see the fruit of their work. Not so you can run away and hide, 
but so that you can guard yourself from being led into their way and into their work. And listen, some of us get into a panic because it feels like the ungodly are all around us and they're winning. And if the ungodly slipped into the lives and into the church in Jude's day, they'll seek to slip into our lives and into our church. But Jude doesn't say we need to panic. He doesn't say we need to hide away. He says we need to guard our lives through a discerning spirit. We must be discerning to recognize when someone is resistant to repent, to submit to God's word, to agree with his way. And if they are, you are to not give them any place of influence in your life. And we're not going to give them any place of influence in this church. Amen? Jude's exposure of the, un- of the ungodly and of their work is to impart in us a steadfast spirit. If you're going to be discerning, you need to be steadfast. Steadfast in what? He says, in building yourself up. You must be steadfast in the study of Scripture, of knowing truth, so that you can separate and know and recognize the work of the ungodly. You need to be steadfast in building yourself up, allowing the Word of God to take root in your heart and in your mind. And that nurtures a spirit of discernment so that you can recognize and see the work of the ungodly and be equipped to stand in the face of it. Amen? Jude says, if you're going to be discerning and you're going to be steadfast, you need to do so by praying in the Spirit. Through prayer, you learn to discern the voice of God. You become acquainted with His presence. And the more you fellowship with the Lord in prayer, the more you will be able to discern the work of the ungodly who have slipped into your life. And you can guard your life against their influence. Lastly, Jude tells us that you are to nurture discernment, steadfastness by keeping yourself in God's love. The enemy wants you to doubt God's word because he wants you to doubt God's love for you. He wants you to doubt God's purpose, God's goodness toward your life. The grumbling, the fault-finding, the boastful, the flattering work of the ungodly will keep you in doubt of God's love for you. But it is your steadfast engagement with God's presence, with a community who consistently teaches and preaches the truth of the Word of God that will keep you in the love of God. Amen? Not everyone who enters this church does so with the intention of coming into submission to the work that Jesus is doing here. Don't be fooled. There will be those who come to pervert the grace of God. And as a leadership, we are committed to faithfully preaching and teaching truth. We're not going to waver on that. When you come into this community, we're going to build you up with the truth of God's word. 
we're going to stir you to engage the presence of God in prayer and welcoming the Spirit of God to move in this place. When you join yourself to this community, you can know that we have committed ourselves to God's Word. And that's going to build your discernment. It's going to build in you steadfastness. But we cannot do for you what only you can do for yourself. Jude says, you build yourself up. He says, you pray in the Spirit. He says, you keep yourself in God's love. Why? So that you can be discerning. So that you can be steadfast every day. Listen, in your workplace, the ungodly are slipping in. In your friend groups, the ungodly are slipping in. In your social media, the ungodly are slipping in. And daily, the enemy is seeking to pervert God's grace in your life. And we cannot isolate ourselves from the ungodly. Timothy instructs us to do the very opposite. Amen? He says, gosh, be in prayer for them that the Lord will grant them repentance. But we do need to limit their influence in our life. And we can't do that when we're not discerning and we're not steadfast. The kids are about to come in in a few minutes and we're going to pray for them as they return to school. And parents, listen, your kids are getting ready to begin a new school year and there's going to be a lot of ungodliness trying to slip in. And it's up to you to be discerning to recognize the fruit of the ungodly trying to influence their lives. It's up to you to be steadfast, building them up in the truth of God's Word, covering them in prayer, keeping them in the love of God by creating an environment in your home where the Word of God is taught, where His presence is welcome, and where Jesus is glorified. Finally, Jude concludes and encourages the discerning and steadfast disciple to look to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. What a glorious promise. Amen. We who are God's holy people, set apart, discerning, steadfast, are looking to him who is able. He is able to keep his promise. He is able to allow us a spirit of discernment and steadfastness to stand against the ungodly. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.